Welcome. This is the last episode of a little podcast about coffee price transparency, and it's definitely one that I have been waiting for. Not because I don't want to keep talking with Chad about coffee, but because I think that this topic is really important for us to talk about right now, especially when it comes down to price concerns and how they translate throughout the entire market and some shifts that will impact the average specialty coffee consumer, which for many people who are listening is exactly the person that they deal with every day. This little mini episode is called, Where Does the Consumer Fit Into All of This? And the first thing I I would like to say is that in the specialty coffee industry, we're all hearing and saying this, everybody's got to pay more for coffee thing. We all want to pay more for green coffee. Farmers need to make more money in order to be sustainable. But there are also consumer-facing articles out there in mainstream magazines, in television magazines, in news programs, where people are saying, wow, coffee's so expensive. Can you believe this cafe in Brooklyn charges, you know, X, Y, Z? And so I feel like there's this really confusing message that's out there, both for us who are on the production end of coffee, but also on the consumption end of coffee. No one knows who is responsible for absorbing what we're saying should be higher prices. And so I want to ask, and I want us to start to talk about what we think the average consumer's perception of specialty coffee is right now. And do we think that the average consumer of specialty coffee has the same expectations for specialty coffee that we do in producing it? And is that part of where the disconnect is? All right. First question, what do consumers think about specialty coffee right now? Mm -hmm. I would say that they look at it like a very wealthy value stream, very fancy experiences and engagements with brands, high prices being paid for beverages. I don't think that they would be able to conceive of the level of poverty and crisis that is actually behind all of that fancy. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why it's so hard to talk about this. And that's why you have to be so sensitive and delicate about it, because it's kind of like, well, wait a minute, you guys, for the last 30 years, you've made coffee fancier and fancier (laughs) and have these competitions and these flat whites and you have all these things. (laughs) And wait, it's still in crisis. I don't get it. What happened here? How did you go wrong? Right. And what am I paying for? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If people are still struggling, then what am I paying for? Yeah. Yeah. I I think it becomes a really difficult conversation to have. And I I would also say that we ourselves as an industry don't yet fully recognize that disparity. I think it's only and I think this came out in a last episode, but like it's only the advent of social media and smartphone technology that's really allowed a producer in a relatively remote region to see his or her face on a bag of coffee being promoted on some roasting company's social media. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's only with the advent of that that they go, well, now, wait a minute. <laughs> I should get a bigger piece of that pie. Uh, and so that, that, in our own way of being as an industry, we, right. we're, we don't know how to talk about this. Yeah, that's totally true. I fall into this trap. I think a lot of people fall into this trap of thinking that the specialty coffee consumer is one thing. 
When really, again, specialty coffee is on a spectrum and the consumers are on a spectrum and there are people who are seeking an experience or they're seeking a quality or they don't even know that they're specialty coffee consumers, to be honest. They're not seeking anything out except it's the shop that's on their street. And so they're accidental specialty coffee consumers and they'd be just as happy at a Wawa. I think SCA did something not long ago to really let people know that they didn't even know what specialty coffee was. Right. Yeah. 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 Like, what is this term that we yeah. use as though it makes perfect sense yeah. to everyone? And it doesn't even make sense to us. Even people within the industry can't agree on what specialty coffee means. So that's kind of funny, too. And if we don't know exactly who the consumers are and what their perspectives on the industry is, then how do we also know how to talk to them about, well, so here's the thing, prices are going to go up. And again, you know, in past episodes of this little podcast, we've also talked about how, like, do prices need to go up? Are there other ways that we can look at our business model so that the consumer doesn't bear the brunt of the Mm -hmm. responsibility that we should be bearing because we're the ones with the pocketbook at a certain level of that transaction? That's something we don't really ever talk about is how do we increase our green coffee costs and prices without reflecting that increase to the consumer and still manage sustainable businesses? And is that even something that we should be talking about? I definitely think it's something we should talk about. I would say, though, just to introduce a layer of complexity here. Oh, great, Chad. I'm sorry. (laughs) We already have precedent for consumers having elevated expectations for supply chain ethics, let's say. Think about the advent of certifications and, you know, Smithsonian bird-friendly coffee, Oots, Rainforest Alliance. Right. All these things, right? So you have these expectations by consumers that coffee should be a certain way. But we haven't seen a willingness from those same consumers to pay Mm -hmm. for those things to be that way. And so what we've seen in the sector is that those bearing the brunt of those increased expenditures to achieve a higher standard within the supply chain Producers are paying those. Right. They're paying certification costs and modification costs and whatever. And I just don't know if that translates to quality or living wage or all, all of these other things that we might use as ways of introducing this topic to consumers. If they are unwilling to pay the price, if we steer this conversation in a different way, mm-hmm. if one of the ways that we talk about it is... Living wage. I know I, I know. I say this a lot, but living wage to me is a concept that we can glom onto. Right. A lot of the work is done already. It's, it's an emerging concept in the world, in the development world. I think it's also an emerging concept that consumers increasingly understand. And so if under the guise of that exploration, we start to discover that, wow, there's a bigger delta than we thought between what we are paying and what we need to pay to achieve a living wage. And Mm -hmm. we bring consumers along for that ride and have that conversation and journey of learning with us. To me, there's something beautiful and idyllic about that. Idyllic is the key word there, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's also interesting. I think we have this impression that suddenly coffee will go from being three twenty-five a cup to $17 a cup. You know, like we don't even know really what the increase would be. And so we kind of jump to conclusions and say consumers won't pay that. And they, we get various messages, I think, from within the industry and without the industry, like consumers won't pay X amount of money for a certification if the quality isn't there, or they won't pay X amount of money for a quality if the certification isn't there. 
the living wage thing is really interesting because we already see models in other industries where people are willing to pay more money because it's being explicitly explained to them. Here's where that money is going. And the money is going toward supporting our staff. You know, you think about in the hospitality industry, the movement away from tipping in the United States in particular. We're so behind the curve in that. And yet, consumers who we assumed would have a lot of pushback. I'm sure that there are lots of people who are saying, well, I just won't go to that restaurant. But a lot of people will go out of their way to support a business that makes that kind of ethical choice. So I wonder if there is some kind of equilibrium that we would reach by saying, okay, well, you know, across the board, we're all going to end up raising our prices one way or the other. There will still be coffee companies that offer a low-cost product for people who need a low-cost product or simply refuse to pay for a high-cost product. There's lots of reasons that people pay what they pay. But then there's also people who will go out of their way to maybe drink less coffee but pay more money for it. Or people who haven't had coffee before who will try it because now it has a different message. There's a different story behind it. There's all kinds of different avenues that I think we haven't really fully explored. And I think it's because we're all afraid. Well, we're, I think we're all afraid and we haven't had the information. Yeah. Um, I think that the availability of now pricing information with the specialty coffee transaction guide. TM. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> and with the information that is more loudly being broadcast by producing countries and mm-hmm. organizations like the World Coffee Producer Forum begin to take this to that other kind of uh, awareness level in the industry it becomes safer to have these conversations and understand a little bit more that there is some shame maybe in our industry that makes us not proud to talk about these things and afraid to talk about these things. But this is the age of technology and information where because of the tools we have and the survey technologies that we can access and the information related to tracing transactions, we have all of this information It, of course, makes sense to learn new ways of thinking about and talking about this thing. And I think in terms of having any kind of a dialogue with consumers, it really hinges on that this is new discovery. This is new information. This is a new priority. This is something that we believe now is having to be a part of specialty coffee. Um, and that is this conversation of of price and, and adequate remuneration primarily to the producer. One thing I wanted to say earlier when you said, do all of these pricing increases have to be borne by the consumer? And I don't necessarily think that they do. Mm -hmm. I think what's come out in previous conversations is I believe transparency is going to identify some great opportunities for improved efficiency in the way that coffee is commercialized. Mm -hmm. That might mean that value chain actors who aren't adding value have to be removed. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of a change can be inspired by we have new information We have to ensure that we have access to an ongoing supply of green coffee. And so with this new information, we have to ensure at least X arrives. And the only way to do that is to take out person A, B, and C for, I don't know, rubber stamping something, whatever they're going to do. I don't know. When you start to look at increasing efficiencies, it also, with the right mindset and within the right companies and within the right ethos, I think it fosters the idea of collaboration, not competition. I mean, consolidation is happening in the industry in negative ways. 
there are ways that we can consolidate in positive ways to cut costs and to operate more efficiently together rather than putting all of the onus on individuals. Because it's much harder, I think, to analyze your own business practices and to remove what you have already been doing. It's always harder to take things away. But if you look at ways that you can identify other like-minded companies that are I don't know, anything as simple as the co-roasting movement is Mm -hmm. a really good way Mm -hmm. for companies to say, maybe I don't need to buy my own $30,000 roaster, install it in a warehouse, also find storage, also buy all my own packing equipment, also hire production staff. Like maybe I can go in with a couple of other companies on these resources that I don't need 100% of the time, save myself some capital put that capital toward maybe collectively buying coffee from the same producers because we don't need to be in competition with each other. And it changes a mindset. Yep. And maybe also that's something that could be explored on the consumer end, but it's not the consumer's responsibility to pay for us to right the wrongs of the system that we've created for them to buy into. I totally agree with you. I don't think it's the consumer's responsibility or should be to continue to, let's say, subsidize our roaster bad behavior here (laughs) with paying a higher price. We're all beholden to being the change that we want to see and consuming the things that we want to consume in the ways that we want to consume them. I think that in our industry, we have a situation where this conversation of price has been demonized and marginalized and basically told it's an unsafe conversation to have. Right. Anywhere industry people are meeting, you hear the conversations around antitrust and anti-competition right. law and blah, blah, blah. This whole thing is sort of shrouded in this uncertainty. And at the end, of course, we want to have consumers' best interests in mind when we're having these conversations because we're all consumers also of other things and would want our best interests kept in mind in those conversations. It's not like we're trying to have a conversation that is going to grossly or egregiously extract exorbitant amounts of money from the uninformed consumer so that we can pad our pockets more. What we're really talking about is achieving, like you were saying, collaborative, collective goals toward different metrics that we have as an industry and covering different costs associated with living wage or cost of production or even going so far as to say helping a group of farmers to innovate or renovate or even expand their farms. It's it's a different business model. Mm -hmm. Keeping in mind the fact that we do have consumers' best interest in the back of our mind when we're making these decisions and as we're weighing all of these different aspects that are you know, in play as we talk about price transparency. And I was thinking as I was sort of putting together some thought prompts for this episode about how my experience as a consumer of coffee is probably pretty similar to the average consumer in that. And I'm not proud to admit this, but when I go somewhere to buy a bag of beans, because I do it so rarely, because I'm given access to coffee all the time, I literally am surrounded by coffee at all times for what is basically free, I flinch when I see that a bag of coffee costs $25. Obviously, I have standards in terms of what I think is ethical per pound or per 12 ounces, but I have to have a conversation with myself about whether or not I can afford it, whether or not that's worth it to me. And I think that that part of that is a holdover from an earlier time. Part of that is just a natural instinct that kicks in when you're a consumer and you're buying anything 
But I think that when I come to work and I put on my work hat, I obviously have a very different perspective of like, what should a consumer pay and what should coffee cost? But when I'm that consumer, I feel very differently about it. And that's something that I have wrestled with myself. And I haven't come to a beautiful conclusion about my revelations about my personal consumption of coffee. What happens is that I tend to rely on the free coffee that I get. And I think that a lot of us in the industry are surrounded by coffee that costs us something at some point, but doesn't cost us retail prices. And it's easy for us to forget within the context of an overall life where you're consuming various things throughout the course of your day, how much is the average person willing to spend on coffee? And this brings back the question to me also about why is it okay then I don't flinch at a wine bar? When I get one glass of wine and it costs what that coffee bag that I flinched at earlier in the day would have cost me. That's really interesting. The psychology of the consumer. It baffles me as a consumer because I'm ashamed that I have this reaction, but I have it. I'm not going to pretend that I don't. Well, I would definitely share that personal experience. I mean, I think about it in terms of the kind of clothing I'd like to consume, right? I mean, cotton is a nightmare of a product and... You know, I you you can't always keep yourself away from disposable fashion. I mean, who doesn't want a pair of H&M sweatpants every now and again? You know, I mean, it, it's a difficult thing to always consume ethically. Yeah. You know, one thing that we talked about that I think is important to make sure that we really explore here is how this conversation is increasingly safe to have. Yeah. I think that more and more goods are being consumed responsibly. The whole farm-to-table movement has happened. Some places it's already done or it's just (laughs) starting, but, you know. And connoisseurship and appreciation of different wheats, for example, for making different breads. I mean, a part of our zeitgeist now is this idea that we care about the things we consume. And I got to believe that coffee, for all of its special and fancy While I don't think that we can expect someone to always buy that $25 pound of coffee or whatever, I think that the more these conversations become a part of our mainstream, the more likely that person may be to pick up that bag of coffee and flinch less. The real challenge is that cheap coffee Mm -hmm. has been and will continue to be readily available. Mm And so it really is about increasing that definition to be beyond quality right? and also have some element of ethics or at least some kind of standard. I mean, we at the Specialty Coffee Transaction Guide talk about could we ever get to a point where the median prices in the guide mean enough to consumers that they could go into a coffee shop and say, did you guys contribute to this transaction guide for last year? Did you at least pay the median price? Cool. All right. I'm here. Right. Otherwise, I'm going to go down the street because I know they did. Right. I feel like with the advent of a more socially aware consumer, I mean, once we figure it out for ourselves and think about it and discuss it internally as an industry, we can start to have that conversation in a more outward way. Again, it's it's about making this more safe all the time to right. talk about, less scary to talk about. Because I'll be honest and say in this world, the way that it is now and the news feed and cycles being what they are, I don't want another bad thing to have to try yeah. to cut out of my life or think differently about. And right. so I, I think this is a really important consideration in how we kind of broach this topic. And I always go back to that consumer coming up to me after I gave a presentation saying, 
you know what? I think if people knew that unless explicitly stated otherwise, coffee had to be coming from conditions that exploited people on the planet, right? you could have a different conversation. I just don't know how we can make those claims without being super sensational right? and also make them so that they're fact-based. I really hope that working on this transaction guide lends enough credibility to the facts that we have um, that we can start having different conversations about some of these numbers. Yeah, what we need is photos of turtles in the ocean choking on commodity-priced coffees. Yeah. Because, I mean, it works for certain things. You can have a complete, like, not a complete culture shift, but a large movement behind something that no one thought of. I can't believe the places that care about straws. Oh, my God. I, I've never thought about straws so much in my entire life. I am delighted and also overwhelmed yes. that even in rural Wisconsin, where I go often, I can find compostable or paper straws. And that people are actively asking for no straws. Like the straw thing indicates to me that there are certain things that people are anxious to participate in. And those people who are making this movement about straws are doing so in coffee shops. There's no way they're not the same people who would say, hey, (laughs) I want this coffee to not be grown on the back of someone else at the expense of their quality of life. I want this ethical iced coffee with a compostable straw. But I do think that we should give consumers more credit. But also at the same time, it becomes my fear that we give them credit by bombarding them with the problems that exist in our industry that are perpetuated by us at a purchasing level and make it their responsibility to support us in fixing our problems when really We've created a codependent system where we've given them low-cost product and we've begged them to like us and to keep coming back and rewarding the inefficiencies that we have in other areas of our business by paying less for the product that they should be paying the most for. We've talked about cost of production and how one of the ways that it's been used is to determine the minimum or the bottom price Yeah, that's survivable, let's say. It'll be interesting, and I say it will be interesting because it will happen, to see what decisions are made when that kind of compression is happening to roasters Mm -hmm. and it's now that they can't get all the supply of Coffee X that they needed or wanted to have unless they pay up for it. It'll be interesting to see then how they economize in their businesses and the decisions they make in their businesses to then allocate more money to the green coffee line in order to maintain it or if they just change it. Because in the context of cost of production, we're always talking about efficiencies Mm -hmm. and increased productivity and how do you find the magic balance between increasing your inputs and your yield so that you're sure you're making more money instead of just spending more money. And that game of economizing in order to optimize the situation is something that producers have been doing, you know, for the last 20, 30 years, at Mm -hmm. least the last generation. Be interesting to see what happens when roasters have to do that for similar reasons. Right. Along that same vein of this conversation being safer to have. I hope that it becomes safer for roasters to also say, now is the time that I want to look inward. Not look inward and reevaluate my business by like laying off a third of my staff, which is often the, the way that companies economize. But really to say, I recognize that now I also have a responsibility to analyze the ways that I do business and to decide whether I think I am operating 
at my maximum capacity, that I'm growing safely, that I'm being sustainable, that I'm meeting my values. You know, I don't want to just say it's a roaster's responsibility to do this. I want us to find as an industry to find pathways to help people along on that journey. If there's a roaster who does say, you know what, you're right, I haven't really thought about areas that I could trim my cost in order to increase the percentage of my capital that's going toward green coffee. How do I do that? I would love for this to also encourage people to come up and say, well, I can help you do that. I've done that work or I have a business degree and I do consulting in other areas or I work in another industry. You know, I hope that this isn't just another way of saying it's your fault or it's your fault or it's a consumer's fault or it's a roaster's fault or it's the importer, it's the exporter. But to say there has to be a way to do it better. And I don't want to just say, okay, now it's your responsibility to do it better without saying here are some ways to do it better. Obviously, that's not my, that's not where either one of us have our expertise. We don't do that kind of work. But there's got to be someone out there that does. And there has to be increasing numbers of people out there who do, who transformed a business as it was growing and streamlined its production or I don't know. I have no idea what that would even take, what those skill sets are. But there has to be some opportunity for that. I agree with you. I think there is a lot of opportunity for companies to kind of do that internal look that you mentioned to say, okay, what are the things that I could edit out here um, so that I can allocate more to this cost of good in my green coffee category? I'll go back to transparency Mm -hmm. and saying that it will let us know where the inefficiencies are. Mm -hmm. And that will certainly be difficult for many people who happen to not be adding a lot of value. But I think if at the end of the day, the objective is to understand as transparently as possible that as much money as can do stays with the producer, particularly as we're talking about high-cupping, differentiated coffees, I I think we're on to something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are so many ways to waste money in coffee. So many elaborate trade show booths. So many thousands of dollars of party to throw. So when I was on the board of directors for SCA, one of the struggles that we constantly faced was how do we be more inclusive? Right. How do we ensure that people of all different kinds of means and geography and role within the value stream have access to the same programming and can come and stay at a conference center in a fancy hotel in the most expensive city (laughs) for the most expensive weekend ever? (laughs) At the height oh, yeah, of at like the, the harvest, yeah. yeah, at the shipping part of the, yeah, <laughs> you know. So, and, and and this this conversation about how do you provide that equal opportunity has been really a part of our conversations at the guide and talking about well, we have to have producer voices on our advisory board. Mm-hmm. We have to be prepared for always and simultaneous translation. Because we we don't want just well-resourced, only people who can speak English, people who can buy their own plane tickets. I mean, we want a diverse set of actors here who can talk about different kinds of realities and perspectives. Right. And I speak from recent experience. That's hard stuff to pull off. But we got to do it. We got to do it. Yeah. And I think that comes along with a lot of the other changing expectations that we really are going to have to have industry-wide about quality, about experience, about perception, about what makes us competitive in a marketplace. A lot of it comes down to image 
And I think we have to ask ourselves a little bit, what is important about the image? Do we want to look good or do we want to have a good personality? As someone who has a face for radio, I know that like my personality's got me much further than my <laughs> my looks. I think I mean there was a speaker at Rico and I'm I feel bad that I'm not gonna attribute to the right person or a person, but basically the proposition was are we gonna look back at this time right. when we knew we could make different decisions and be glad yeah. about the decisions we make? Or are we going to hang our heads and say, well, we were just doing business as usual? I mean, that was the general gist of it. And, and I, I, we're, we're there. I mean, yeah. this conversation has been going on for long enough. I mean, I think the, the alarms are sounding more clearly and loudly now than they have in a while. But we've been having this conversation for a long time. I mean, I'll never forget when I was facilitating a conversation at a, at a RICO event and somebody raised her hand and said, look, I've come to this thing every year. We're always talking about this. When are we going to talk about the, the, the next stuff? When are we going to figure this stuff out? I, I mean, I hope, I hope we get there. I mean, this recent crisis, while it's been called a crisis before, right. and in fact been called a price crisis before, this feels different. This feels like more different kinds of people are involved in the conversation and seeking to understand. I hope that that means that more people with more opportunities to engage the consumer will be able to have this more safer kind of exploration into this topic because we don't have the answers. Yeah. I mean, we're learning. We're trying to figure it out. Oh, that I think is the key too to hold space for in this conversation and the greater conversation that's happening is that part of what we need to do is to keep an open mind. And I can personally say that I have been on the wrong side of my perceptions and my the information I have interpreted incorrectly a hundred times. I change my mind constantly about this stuff. I'm in conversations with people about it almost every day. And I don't, I would not say that my point of view and my opinions are stable or like I feel like they are unquestionable or unchallenged and I think part of the reason that I really like talking to you is that when we first met I disagree with a lot of what you said and I still disagree with some of the things that I you know hear in the industry and probably we disagreed at certain points during this conversation but that is information that I can use to challenge myself and to challenge what I've done and what I've thought and what I've told people before And I think we all just have to be less afraid to say, I don't know, when we don't know, and to say, you know what, I thought about it, and you raise a good point, or I thought about it, and I I am changing my mind. And we've, as a culture, I think, historically, we've come down hard on people who have changed their minds, or it seems like a victory when you can, like, you know, aha, I got you, you were wrong. (laughs) And I, I don't know, I think the most rewarding conversations are the ones where I feel like, wow, I'm going to go home and really think about that. And so I really appreciate that you're willing to talk to me about it. And as someone who came into the knowledge of the transaction guide really skeptically and still, you know, every day I sort of think, oh, I don't know about this aspect of it or is this going to achieve this goal? I'm definitely not. I wouldn't have done this if I was just some sort of sycophant. That's not interesting to me. That's boring. So I really appreciate your taking the time and talking it through. Well, I thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. I do think that it is only through conversations like this where we explore different scenarios and reactions and realities and perspectives that we're going to come to something that is truly transformative. I think that we need a transformation. I think that there is enough historical information now about where coffee comes from and why it is here. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm talking about slave and colonial labor systems, for us to be able to have a more honest conversation about, okay, well, how do those systems need to have already evolved by now? Right. Because they haven't. And so we have some catching up to do. And we have a lot of learning to do. And so, you know, I'll say again, information is is my friend with these conversations. Thank you so much, Chad. What a pleasure. Cheers. Take care. And thanks to everyone who was listening. We did four episodes about the coffee price transparency issue. This has been really fun for me. I don't know. Has it been fun for anyone else? I don't care. It was fun for me. But again, if you wanted to reach out to either one of us, Chad's email address is chadtrevick at gmail.com. So it's C-H-A-D-T-R-E-W-I-C-K at gmail.com. And I'm Meister at CafeImports.com. You can find the Specialty Coffee Transaction Guide where, Chad? It's at transactionguide.coffee. I love that dot coffee's a thing. And if you wanted to become a data donor, you could find out information there. If you're a coffee buyer or a roaster or an importing company, that data is really valuable and it helps to make that a rich living project and a rich living document that producers and all other actors along the supply stream can use. Is there anything else you'd like to say in parting, Chad? No, just thank you so much again, Meister, for having me. And uh, I look forward to doing this again. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thank you.